Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello, Peter. Hello. Did you hear our introduction to you at the start of our latest podcast? No, I didn't. No, we split the audience into Peter and not Peter. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we talked to Peter sometimes and not Peter other times. Okay. Okay. And we, we are aware of the sound problems in the last one, so we're doing our best to overcome them. We have quite a step up in front We of do. Us. Yes, it looks very professional. <laughs> well, well, something anyway. <laughs> yes. Elaborate, perhaps. Yeah, elaborate. <laughs> That's right. So we're we're still in the House of Holiness. Yeah. The House of Holiness, which, as as we've suggested, sometimes worried Spencer's true blue Protestant readers, but having a kind of uh, a kind of echo of Catholicism about it, mm. and in a way, it does. You can't actually pin it down to an imitation of the sacrament of penance, which is the thing that would really worry them, I think. And he, he, he rather cleverly evades that. But I think he's actually playing a kind of long game here, which is really very interesting. Because the sacrament of penance, it has three main, three main elements and some subsidiary elements. Penance is, penance is what makes you right with God after you've sinned post-baptism, okay, so it gets you back on track. And you can do this at any point up until you fully die. Absolutely, yeah. yes, yes. We talked the other day that Hitler could have done this he if could. he was genuine about it. If he was genuine, okay. yeah, exactly. A motion of the soul. Reconciliation, cilia are the eyebrows, so it means bringing your eyebrows onto a level with God's eyebrows, looking him in the eyes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Rather than being... <laughs> cilia, reconciliation. Okay, yes, yeah, yes. Nice. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> bringing the eyebrows together. It begins with a, a motion of the mind that makes you realise perhaps your situation, which comes to self-examination and a degree of contrition. Contrition leads to confession. Mm-hmm. You you speak your sins to a priest, mm-hmm. and of course, ultimately to God too. But the point about the priest is the priest is skilled. He's like a doctor. He can probe and penetrate your defences, your your natural desire to think well of yourself and you can get past all that and, and pluck out your horrible sins. So kind of early therapy. Yeah, talking therapy. A different goal, yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Exactly, exactly. And, and the goal here is a degree of self-understanding. Yeah. Because, you know, normally we're seen as hiding from ourselves, mm-hmm. wanting to think better of ourselves than, than we really have any right to, which, of course, is actually a, a very standard kind of human motivation and from that we move to satisfaction which is it can be seen in many ways sometimes it's called restitution if you if if alice stole 50 dollars from rowan yes then <laughs> she would be required to restore the 50 dollars okay mm. but no interest of course. and i would then also have to make good with myself. I'd have to do that first and then give the $50 back. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. And and of course, if if you're, if it's a sin where you can't do that, you know, you 
if it's a sin of gluttony, you can't vomit up the food again. Or if you did, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be restitution. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you've got to bake a new chocolate cake to yeah. give back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. If, yeah, if you nick somebody else's chocolate cake, yeah. that's right. But if, it was, if you're in chocolate cake and you were just gluttonous about it. Oh, you, know. you have to run 50 kilometers? Well, do something, yeah. Okay. You, um, in, in, in the Catholic scheme of things, you've got to have some sort of punishment. Okay. In the very early church, in fact, priests used to, used to beat their penitents. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds healthy. That sounds healthy, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they kind of abandoned that quite early on and in substituted various sort of things. And, and now, you know, apparently you, you, you say things like you say 50 Hail Marys or something, what, whatever that entails, I don't really know. Or you, you finger your rosaries or... But you, you've got to do something. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that there's like this midpoint of, okay, yeah, give the $50 back or bake a chocolate cake, like do something. Yeah. Like to actually try to make up for it and, and make peace with yourself and the person. Or give like fifty Hail Marys, like that's not yeah. doing it's anything. A, it's a sort of token yeah. uh, satisfaction. It's like they were so close to having a really healthy way of dealing with it. <laughs> that's right. So close. Okay. That's right. Well if you think about it, I mean if you're a confessor, your your penitent might be the Duchess of Margrave or something, or the so king or it's a bit hard, yeah. There's yeah. a social but the, there's a spiritual distinction between you. You, you know, you, you're in a sense have the upper hand as the confessor but there's also that very important social distinction mm-hmm. and, and especially if she like her sin was I've been rogering my exactly corgis yeah oh gosh <laughs> <laughs> it, you know the thing could be like well go and roger your husband that's right <laughs> like then it will not have time to make up for it like you could say yeah that. something like that yeah okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> queen could yeah. yes perhaps corgis would be awkward <laughs> um. <laughs> exactly now this is the part of the process that the reformers most objected to. I mean, I, I, I need to go into this because, of course, yeah, you know, no, this, the, <laughs> this tension is fairly important in the whole poem. Um, so they, they, they weren't so, you know, contrition. Yeah, sure, you should feel contrite about your sins. Who, 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 who wouldn't? And we get a lot of contrition, yeah. of course. In, well, we, well, this is true. <laughs> yes. yes, that's right. <laughs> but... Coming to that self-recognition, yes, contrition is important. Mm, contrition for you. Yeah, yeah okay. it does, it does. You, because a contrition is a turning away from sin in horror. Yeah, okay. As opposed to attrition, which is a turning away from sin because, well, in fact, um, we get illustrated in this poem when, yeah. the, when the dwarf discovers all the bodies in Lucifer's dungeon, or not all, all, the, all the you know souls she's going to torture and so on. He warns the night there's just reason reason thinks hello if i carry on in this way i'm going to end up in hell yeah. toasted by demons on pitchforks that seems unpleasant, yeah. it seems unpleasant yeah let's not do that so let's skedaddle and yeah. they do they flee but because this is not informed by contrition which is a genuine horror of sin the first thing he does on escaping is to fall into sin with yeah. uessa by the fountain Stages. Well, sure? it's given him no insight, right. is the point. Oh, uh, yeah. He yeah. yeah. There's no self-examination or yeah. realisation. Now, the Catholic Church uh, accepted attrition as a sort of inferior, but okay, it'll do, you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> good enough for government work kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But the real problem is with this notion of satisfaction. Well, there actually, there too, there's also a problem with absolution, which we'll come to in a second, because that's the final stage where the priest says, ego te absolvo, and in the name of God, you loose them from the guilt of their sin. So they're, they're remade, they're reborn in a sense. Um, satisfaction seemed to, you know, and often it was seen in, among Catholics as being carried to a kind of mad extent of flagellants, you know, who go through the street flagellating themselves and, oh. <laughs> yes, and, and going around kissing lepers and, and right. <laughs> drinking their pus and all sorts of stuff. Ooh. Yeah, horrible. Ooh, okay. Self-abnegation. Yeah. Um, and this seemed to the reformers to be kind of futile because Christ had made sufficient satisfaction on the cross. And in fact, it's a kind of absurd pride to imagine that your puny satisfaction, you know, like giving up chocolate or something, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be anything like um, Christ's satisfaction on the cross, where you know the infinite being is, becomes a victim and so on, all that, all that stuff. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they strongly objected to the notion of satisfaction of suffering as a way of, if you like, clearing the sin. And it's related to that whole idea that, you know, you could save yourself by good works, good deeds. It's kind of like a version of that. Confession is good, satisfaction, bad. Uh, Yeah, yes, exactly. And also confession is good, Mm -hmm. but because the Bible says, confess ye one to another. And we obviously made that into a big deal. Well, that's right. Right, okay, one line, guys. But... Not confession necessarily to a priest. A priest has no particular... I mean, they didn't acknowledge the idea that priests had some had the kind of divine power to absolve you or whatever. So confessing is good for the soul, but you confess to your neighbour who then confesses to you. And, yep. and of course... You can confess to anyone the same way anyone can do a baptism in a Yeah, yeah. Okay, just dunk the baby, got it. Random vagrant, you know. <laughs> Okay. Well, think of the ancient mariner. He goes, oh, I yeah. spend all the time confessing to <laughs> random <Desperately>. people. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so confession was okay, but it didn't actually do anything. Contrition was probably necessary, but satisfaction was a kind of blasphemy, essentially, I think is how they saw it. Because you're taking, you're, you're, you're arrogating Christ's role mm. to yourself. That's right. (laughs) Now, the Council of Trent, Mm -hmm. the 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 council in in the the one that decided which books were going to be in the Bible. Was that nice? Yeah. Okay. No, this is long. This is yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the Council of Trent is in the middle of the 16th century. Okay. And it's the church's um, considered response to the reformers. Mm And in fact, what they did was, they, 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 instead of making concessions and saying, oh, yeah, we got that one a bit wrong, they just doubled down. <laughs> no, we are right, actually. That's right. Um, we're going to set you on fire. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But lots of things were made explicit there that had only been vaguely implicit or oh, undefined. So, that, so they really do double down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Mm. You're going to believe this, mate. Or, you know. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So, the Council of Trent said, well, your own personal satisfaction is not derogatory to Christ's satisfaction because you can only 
affect your own satisfaction in and through Christ. So in a sense, Christ indwelling in you is performing the satisfaction that, you know, involves you doing whatever it is you're going to do. Okay, Scotty from marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I know. It's, it, yeah, and again, it doesn't really get past the, the, the reformist objection that it's done once and for all on the cross. Yeah. That's it. Slate clean. You know, Christ died for our sins. They have a stronger argument there. Yeah, yeah they well do. It's a, bit of, it's a bit of sort of medieval logic chopping, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, they saw there was a problem, I suppose you could say. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is all quite important in the House of Holiness because uh, there's quite a lot of suffering going on. He's basically tortured in the dungeons for a bit. Yeah. You know, penance with his iron whip and, and so on. Yes, well, that's right. Now, but you couldn't say that his stay in the House of Holiness had in itself a direct one-to-one correspondence with the sacrament of penance, so he's off the hook yeah. there. But... It seems to me that what he's actually done, as I said earlier on, is spread the whole thing out in a much larger way. So that after, after he sinned with Duessa, he's mm. attacked by Orgoglio, spiritual pride, and cast into the dungeon. The dwarf reason, ratio, the lower kind of you know, algorithmic reason, grabs up his armour and absconds, comes to Una, the higher reason, the soul she's got various roles here and confesses to her mm-hmm. and it's quite a detailed you know it's like a sort of recap if you haven't been following yes. <laughs> and she then turns to Arthur who stands for grace and seeks his aid if you like mm-hmm. this is exactly it's all a very a very kind of Catholic thing going on here so we've got emotion of the mind we've got confession we've got uh his contrition, which I suppose you know leads to leads to despair, it's because of course it can do. If you know you think you're, you're a kind of miserable worm who's sinned, and, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this this is what happened to Luther in a way. You know he became convinced of his complete inability to meet the demands yeah. of God, and that's when he had the insight that in fact we were saved by faith alone and not by deeds, not by work. Mm. You know, otherwise you know. Okay, I've scrubbed the entire monastery with a toothbrush. Is that enough? How do you know? You know? <laughs> it's a type A personality. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So what we've got then is a sort of slow-mo, you know, stretched out... Sacrament. Sacrament. Over the second. Yeah, oh, over the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really quite... Quite a stretch there. And... What we have in the House of Holiness, then, is the operation of grace, because, of course, the whole point of a sacrament is to induce the operation of grace. I hope this isn't getting too theological. No, no, it's good. I'm just... um, It's talking. We can't avoid theology. No. No. it's fun. No, it's fun. And if people disagree... Exactly, exactly. Uh. (laughs) Fun, fun, fun. And you can almost distinguish them here by saying that, to some extent again in the Protestant view grace happens in a kind of a flash or transformed you know like in a puff of smoke whereas in the Catholic view grace operates like a surgeon upon a a wounded soul yeah well that's right exactly so the wulmus ignorantiae so 
you know, cutting out the 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 nasty bits with a scalpel and all very painful and in fact exactly like but torture more really. Precise. <laughs> Pre- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, more precise, more. Exactly, personal. and exactly, and it may look like. Uh, punishment, but in fact it's a medicine. It's a medicine to the soul, to heal the soul which is wounded and diseased. And that phrase is given quite a lot of weight in this period, purely because a lot of medicine actually is torture. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Or well-intentioned torture. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. So when we look at what goes on in the dungeons there with penance and remorse and so on, bitter penance with an iron whip was want him to dispel twice once a day yes the sad house of penance that's right so we have to understand what's going on here um as i say it's not that he is performing a satisfaction which will then redeem him because he's suffering which is of course you know the idea you get in in done when he says by these his thorns give me his other crown Mm -hmm. my suffering as i die you know that will guarantee me hell Uh, heaven sorry but rather that it's a necessary process of healing a diseased soul. Okay. Uh, and it's, un- it's unpleasant, you know. Mm-hmm. And Spencer sees this as more productive, yes. more helpful for people, and this is also a society where it became like Catholic, uh, a Protestant overnight, so yes. Catholicism is still in its veins, so he's maybe appealing to it. Exactly. Social yeah, that's exactly right. So there's two things going. First of all, there's his syncretism, yep. which is seeing that this truth is much too big for one set of dogmas. Yep. Uh, but maybe I can, you know, get closer to it by piecing insights from different forms of Christianity together. Yep. But at the same time, exactly addressing an audience who has had Catholicism in the blood for generations. Uh, uh, a thousand years at that point kind of well that's yeah. right that's right that's right and you know to whom protestantism is very much an enthusiasm of late adolescence or early adulthood a bit like becoming a greenie or a communist or uh, something yes okay you know? <laughs> yeah we all go through that phase well that's right that's right so it's an intellect protestantism has an intellectual appeal yeah, you know those silly kids with their protestantism all right <laughs> that's right um it has an intellectual appeal, but it hasn't got quite the same emotional pull that Catholicism might have had. Mm. Think of Shakespeare, you know, he's brought up a Catholic almost certainly. Mm. It's the religion of the hearth and the home, and mm. you know, that's much closer to where you live than the religion you might acquire later on, which is all about ideas and rather dry. It's a religion <laughs> of, instead of a religion of images and and, and incense and music and yeah. A kind of total sensory experience drawing you close to God. It's all about community. It, yeah, and it's, it's about the spoken word. Yeah. You know, you, you sit in a drafty church with no paintings on the walls and nothing and listen to a two hour sermon on, on, I don't know, whatever it happens to be. Which is exciting to intellectuals. Yes, but not so much to, to <laughs> most. Most, yes. Joe Sixpack. You can see him. <laughs> Parallel, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and obviously Catholicism is like this community religion, whereas Protestantism is very individual. It's very individual. It's relationship exactly. with God, and that then links with capitalism. We can talk about that. Yeah, but all I'm that stuff. Yes, all <laughs> that. Well, exactly. And all this is happening, you know, about the time... I mean, it's coming to a kind of crisis, really, in, in the late 16th, 17th century. Mm-hmm. The war is about to kick off. Well, <laughs> there is that, yes. Yeah, almost a later, but... Yeah, yeah, that's right. But the ideas are floating around. Yeah. You know, no question. 
even kind of radically egalitarian ideas are floating around. I mean, that's why, and we're jumping ahead a bit here, but that's why in book five, the communist giant yeah. is, a, is a bit of a worry. And women have and thoughts, women, feelings women, and ideas. They do, and, and they assert them, and that's really worrying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll yeah. come back to all this, of course, but, you know, particularly after the long reign of an extremely competent, very intelligent woman, Mm. You know, compared oh. to an idiotic father. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And an idiot who's about to take over from her, too. Was Spencer alive? Well, about, well, I say about to. No, he, di- he died about 1599, I think. Okay. Oh. But everyone knew that the next in line was James the Sixth of Scotland. And everyone knew he was a... Bit of an idiot. Bit of an idiot. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Although he did write a treatise on prosody. Still on and witches. And witches. And, <laughs> and, yeah, witches too. <laughs> like the man was crazy. Well, Prosody? What do you have to say? Anything good? Oh, well, uh, look, it's very conventional, but it's uh, interesting. It's in, in short treatise containing some rules and cutlass for the making of Scotch poetry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because it's written in Scots, of course. Yeah. <laughs> With the accent in italics, I That's right. Okay. That's right. So, this all comes to this kind of crisis of... Culture. It's a culture war, isn't it's it? It's a culture, culture war. Crisis, yeah, yeah that, it is, exactly. So, it's, 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 it's about uppertiness, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Get back in Uppity your peasants. <laughs> that's right. Uppity women. Yeah. Uppity everything. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, yeah, the structures of society were under pressure now because they were really faltering and not yes. productive, and so... That's right. Ta-da. That's yeah, exactly right. Their fears right. about Elizabeth really did come true. If we have a woman on the throne, people think women can do anything. Yeah, that, that's right, <laughs> that's can, right. As it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So a lot of the plays of the Jacobean period mm. are to do with powerful, disruptive, unruly women. Well, very... Um, Charitable towards these figures. Well, <laughs> or do they de- depict them on spikes? Oh no, 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 no. I mean, it depends who you're talking about. I mean, some, yeah. you know, a writer like Johnson, yes, actually, is misogynist. He's mm-hmm. kind of terrified of women. <laughs> but you look at writers like Webster and Middleton, and now they celebrate these mm. these women. Good. Yes, and Shakespeare too. Of course. Yeah, Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> but all this is kind of outside our brief in a way, isn't it? Yeah. Well, except that <laughs> we have a bunch of powerful, disruptive women coming up in the poem. And people who only read the first book. Well, well. <laughs> you're missing out. Right? You're missing out. And, and yeah, it's like only reading the Inferno, not reading the rest of the dying comedy. I suppose you're, you're missing out because you're getting a very partial view. You, you, you know, you you could read parts of book one as misogynistic. Yeah, well, it's like anything if you take it out of context. Yeah. Podcast is a good example. You take a soundbite from a podcast, you can exactly. Like a monster. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> and just piece it together. <laughs> yeah, students misrepresenting tutorials is another one. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God, yes, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we know you can make Shakespeare, Spencer, Milton seem like evil, misogynistic buttholes, but... Yeah, that's right. And it's almost what, you know, the, the, the what perhaps is no longer the prevailing academic attitude to studying Renaissance literature does, which is called New Historicism, which is a sausage machine kind of criticism. You, you put anything, any kind of complexity into one end of the sausage machine. Even white man comes out the other end. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the same sausage comes out the yeah. other all, all complexity, all nuance, all delicacy removed. Yeah. 
yeah, because yeah. it's, it's and, bits on formalism, but kind of well, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, and that sort of stuff is so much easier to teach, though, because it's not complicated. It's a yeah, basic thematic it's, approach, yeah, basic theoretical approach. Yeah, stuff, that's right. Yeah. You don't have to question the text. Yeah, exactly. You already know that it says that all women are are horrible. You know. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. So, but that's all down the track. So that I think I think that's what we've got going on here. Yeah. So we've got here now um, an essentially Catholic operation of grace within something that can be seen as part of that larger sacrament of penance, but is suitably disguised yes. so it won't frighten the horses or <laughs> Protestant people <laughs> carefully done, yeah. yeah which brings him back to a kind of health and you know the metaphor is, is, is perfectly sensible this is really a hospital this house mm-hmm. of holiness well yeah we called it um, spiritual rehab last yes time. that's yeah. right exactly 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 um, and of course after that we're led well to contemplation well first of all oh that's right were led to rather interestingly, and again worryingly for the Protestant reader, we we pass through Carissa, mm-hmm. who stands for love, yeah. agapain, caritas. Yes, yeah. you know the word charity is a terrible debasement because charity nowadays means something cold and official, and mm. you know you sort of press a button on Facebook and you contribute. <laughs> <laughs> Rescue children in Africa. Yeah, that's right. Whereas Agape, which is the Greek term for this thing, love, thou shalt love thy neighbour, is very much a personal, active relationship. Mm. So you think you think of you know, Christ tells the parable of, of, of the Good Samaritan to explain what Agape is. Who's my neighbour? says this chap in the round. Christ tells the story. And your neighbour is another human being who is in need mm. of your attention. So the, the man who's been beaten up by robbers and left bleeding and so on. And the Samaritan, who's a despised underclass, or member of a despised underclass, gathers him up, binds his wounds, takes him to an inn, leaves leaves money for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's it. Because so it's, it's an active principle of engagement with other people. Mm. Um, and this is very much also part of obviously part of of, of Protestantism because it's either I mean. It, in theory, at any rate, <laughs> there's no doubt that uh, to some extent this new individualism mm. led people away from that communal sense of responsibility for the poor and the sick, you know, in the neighbourhood. You get you, you do ult- ultimately. It's exactly what you get. That's <laughs> yeah. that's that's right. You think of you think of um, Macbeth. Mm. Um, <laughs> often, yes. <laughs> often, yes right. It's very interesting. Well, um, our friend. Uh, you know, the kind of magic. Oh, Keith. Keith. Thomas? Yeah, Thomas. Says, says quite interestingly that very often um, an accusation of witchcraft <laughs> would arise from, a, would arise from uh, a denial of charity, that individualistic attitude, you know. So, old crone next door knocks on your door and says, can I have a cup of milk, please? Oh, yeah. And you say, nick off old crone. Oh yes, yes, that's right, that's, that's right. Example. Yeah, 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 that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And if you remember at the beginning of Macbeth, the witch says, I think Act One, Scene Three, 
A sailor's wife had chestnuts in her lap, and munched and munched and munched. Give me, quoth I, a roint thee, which the rumpfed runion cries. Her, her husband's to a lepogon, master of the tiger, but then a sieve I'll do the same like a rat without a tail. I'll do, I'll do, and I'll do. So she's going to get revenge yeah, for the denial of charity to the chestnuts, yes. Obviously, old women were most in need of charity. Well, quite, quite, yeah. quite. Incidentally, here's a puzzle for you. Why does she turn into a rat without a tail? Um, I'm being tested, <laughs> and I've been found wanting. <laughs> rat without, um, I don't know. Well, tail, tail is a metaphor. Um, mm. So a metaphor, a female rat. A female, well, yeah, the point is, if you turn a human male into a rat, oh, he, he's oh, got something that can become a tail. Okay. But if you turn a female into a rat, she's got nothing that can take the place of a tail. Okay. More dick jokes, everyone. More dick jokes, yes. <laughs> you, you can't avoid them in Elizabethan literature. <laughs> They're everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, just, actually, my eyes just fallen on stanza 25 here of book 10. Just the insistent medical language here, which... Yes, that's right. No purge, no heal, beside remaining still. Inward corruption, infected sin. Betwixt the marrow and the skin. The whole thing is just... And we're talking about the wound, right? The wound of ignorance? Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right. And it's interesting, he places him down in a lowly place, far in. He's going to apply corrosives, which sounds most unpleasant. But it's as though he has to relive his experience in Orgolio's dungeon, mm. but this time kind of understanding what's going on. And, uh, mortification of the flesh? Very much mortification. Okay. You do call it exactly that, mortification of the flesh. Mm. Yeah, which again could be seen as Catholic if it was simply about... Suffering is good. <laughs> Put up with it. Yeah. But as a process of healing, it, it requires a very different meaning, I think. Yeah. Mm. Well, healing is hard. I, I guess healing is hard. Healing is difficult, yeah. Wean yourself off, say, alcohol or something like that. Or, That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. And in fact, as we will see later in, later in the poem, there are several episodes of people who, are, who get sick in one way or another and who are healed by... It's a recurring theme, theme. yes, yes, that's right. Oh, yes, and here's where it gets sort of close to torture. (laughs) Stanza 26. Even as superfluous flesh did rot, amendment ready still at hand did wait, to pluck it out with pincers fiery hot, that soon in him was left no one corrupted jot. And again, the pincers fiery hot sounds like torture, but in fact... They understood something about something about sepsis. Okay. And heat, well, the fact that heat can prevent sepsis. Yeah. So, for example, when you amputate a limb, you then sort of put burning iron against it, which sounds absolutely awful. But it didn't but fester. It didn't fester, <laughs> yes. Because yeah, infection obviously is a huge problem. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So they had some notion, of, just as when you were cutting for the stone, on your way back out, <laughs> going, going through the perineum, you nicked the urethra, and that flooded the wound with urine because they had some oh. understanding that urine was a mild antiseptic. So it's horrible, but yeah. Horrible, yeah, horrible, <laughs> horrible, but yeah. Oof. Yes, exactly. Aren't we lucky not to... Aren't we? Yes. <laughs> when was penicillin discovered? 1940s, it started being used. Yes, it is late. <laughs> okay. yeah. Before penicillin, you would die of a scratch or a cut. You could easily die of a scratch or a cut. So it's not people even did. Years. Oh no, no. 
It could have been much sooner if the idiot who'd first discovered it had actually decided to investigate well because he discovered that it, it left in a, in a petri dish it kind of um you know killed the mold okay. but he didn't bother to find out whether that would actually work on human beings uh, and it was <laughs> it's like how he would have had vaccination sooner if everyone had listened to the woman <laughs> well that's right that's right okay. so it was left to howard florey an australian to actually i knew it was an australian yeah okay. yeah. yeah well yeah it kind of been that long ago if it was an australian that's true <laughs> <laughs> mm. Um, just in time for World War Two, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Once he's been through all this... Oh, now you see, we get to... Ah, and then we get to 28, 7, and now we really are in the realm of, you know, punishment. Bondage yes. and discipline. Bit of penance with an iron whip was one thing to discipline every day. Although even there, even whips themselves were seen as therapeutic tools. Right. Yeah. If you were, If you were declared mad... Huh? The treatment was put you in a dark room and beat you. That would help. I'm well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to understand, isn't it? <laughs> well, I guess I would go quiet from pain and. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. That's right. That's right. But even there, you know, the, the the salt water to wash the wounds, but it washes away the filthy blocks of sin. So he's merging these ideas of, of yeah. torture and, and medicine. So in short space, they did to help restore the man that would not live. But erst lay at death's door. The man that would not live, meaning didn't want to live. Okay. They'd given him back his will to live, yeah. his mojo, <laughs> his spirits. <laughs> Whatever that might mean. It's, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. It's interesting in the next stanza, in which his torment often was so great that like a lion he would cry and roar and rend his flesh and his own sinews eat. Um, which worries you know when she listens to this but of course in becoming like a lion he's becoming yes yeah, exactly yeah. yes exactly 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 so then he, then he's brought after all he's brought to Carissa late in childbed brought and of course she's just given birth to a child mm-hmm. which is the new red cross because the old Adam must die oh, I see, before right. the, the new one is. Yeah, the new one. So he's now been reborn again. That's no, okay. it, it's the idea. It's the idea behind batter my heart for your person. Oh, yeah, remember, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't. If somebody is sinful, you can't tinker beat with them. Them you, down. You've got to crush them and to nothing and then rebuild from scratch. Okay, so it's more of a spirit. It's like a metaphorical. It's a metaphorical yeah, thing. Okay. Yeah, but it's as though you're kind of deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. Tinkering with you isn't going to do any good. You've got to no, remake no. you. So, come on, get out of bed. It's like yeah, right. <laughs> Right. That's right, that's right. So, so he's born again. As born again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's important, I think, we have this idea of charity, meaning love. And, of course, you know, she, it's wonderful. She gives birth and suckles all her infants and so on. But Spencer thinks, you know, he thinks perhaps that Protestantism has lost sight of, and maybe he's right, because we were talking about the way, you know, the new individualism was less charitable in its impulses and behaviour mm. than than the communal word of, of Catholicism. Where indeed, you know, the monasteries, part of the duty of the monastery is to suck of the needy, yeah. you know, take in travellers. It was a place you could go. Exactly. Yeah. And that was all taken away by Henry VIII. So really, the entire, like... Um, social welfare social system. Social welfare system. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just blown up, yeah. Well, in fact, and under Elizabeth, this was replaced by a series of rather punitive poor laws. Ah, uh, <laughs> Yes, where you're punished for being, you know, um, destitute. 
which you, beggars, yeah. yeah. So you're not allowed to be a beggar, that's right. No, sturdy beggar. If you're a sturdy beggar, meaning you, you could work, then you'd be whipped to the next parish, which is no fun. No fun. No. Yeah. Imagine if, <laughs> well, well, unless you like that kind of thing. What am I saying? Yes, well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yes. <you> imagine, wait. <laughs> exactly. Well, as in the Pope we were looking at, remember, Bond damns the poor and hates them from his heart. Oh. Yes. God cannot love, says somebody with pious eyes, the wretch he starves and piously denies. It would be impious to give to these people because God has clearly abandoned them he doesn't like them that's why they're starving see that's a complete inversion of the Catholic notion blessed are the poor yeah Mm, yeah yeah exactly (laughs) hang on that's right not to mention it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven (laughs) (laughs) that's why after this visit to Carissa Carissa takes them to the seven wise men that, that, who perform works of mercy. Okay. And, and, and again, this gets right back to Christ. Remember Christ says, they looked after by mercy, who's uh, well known after overall, line 30, uh, sorry, standard 34, line 5 or so, to be both gracious and liberal. These are the works of mercy that are mentioned again in the Gospels. This is why you know, Spencer, whenever he can, gets back to the Gospels because something's rooted. Book. Well, that's the book, and you can't you can't say no. I don't believe that stuff because yeah. it's there. You yeah. Know? And when Christ says, "Ye, ye, uh, I was in prison and ye visited me. I was hungry and ye fed me. I was, I was sick and ye comforted me, and so on." And th- these are the works of mercy. Mm-hmm. And the people he's talking to are, are the righteous at this point, standing on his right hand yeah okay. that's right uh, and they say Lord when did we do these things to you we never did this and he says as, as, whenever you did it unto the meanest of my people right. you did it unto me Before. yeah okay. exactly and then he turns to people on the left and says I was sick and you visited me not and I was in prison and you didn't bring me grapes you know or whatever yeah. um, <laughs> or a shiv <laughs> yeah. and they say Lord when did we do this and he says ah you didn't do it to those other people so you didn't do it to me so you're going to hell, matey. <laughs> <laughs> the fire that was created for the Wait, devil. Didn't know the rules. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. But they didn't do it at all. Yeah. Well, mm. that, yeah. <laughs> because God is always looking. God is always watching. God is watching. Carve, <laughs> carve, Deus vide. Creepy, but yeah, exactly. He's seen it all. <laughs> he's seen it. He has seen it all. Yes, exactly. So at the end of 36, they go to a holy hospital. <laughs> like, there it is. Like, spiritual therapy. This yes. Is, yeah, that's crazy. right. Yeah. That's right. But here we've got, we've got the seven beadmen that have vowed all their life to service of our heaven's king. A beadsman is a very Catholic idea. Be- beads are, you know, prayer beads. You sort of yeah. count your prayers by. Remember when, when we meet Archimago he's first, he's, he's telling his beads. Yeah. So he's being rather sort of naughty here and in... in explicitly evoking this Catholic idea as well as the works of mercy mm. but I think he feels safe at this point that they won't be interpreted in a, in a narrowly Catholic way perhaps um, as being simply a way of buying your way into heaven okay. but rather as the necessary fruit, you've been healed you're, you're full of grace you're, you know, you're full of charity and so you naturally perform these seven works of mercy 
they're not they're not a, a, an insurance payment for your soul. Right. <laughs> they are the result of your salvation, of your grace, okay. your state You're of grace. You're, You're a better person. person. So you go about feeding the sick and clothing them. Right, naked. but it looks a lot like you're just trying to get insurance. Well, yeah. from the outside, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. So we're looking at the process on the inside. That's exactly right. Uh, um, so he allows for the Protestant critique, in a sense, but he's saying that's not what's going on yeah, here. Because usually we have to be careful reader. And... Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the thing is, the corollary of this is that it's very easy for a Protestant to use this critique of you know this Catholic faith in works and works of mercy as an excuse not to do any because it's a Catholic thing you know huh. I don't go feeding the sick because that's that's you know. silly Catholics <laughs> that's right what purpose could that serve exactly I biscuits at home okay exactly exactly so that's why we have this emphasis on, on the seven beadsmen who do practical things. So the, the first of them in 37... Oh, to give entertainment and lodging. Entertainment doesn't mean he does a tap dance for them. It just means he, you know, puts them up yeah, for the night. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. As, as monasteries did, lodging unto all that came and went. Not unto such as could him feast again. It's not, it's not you know, that kind of, you know, you throw a dinner party for somebody and then they throw a dinner party for you and all that. It's... Uh, <laughs> cause, because... It's just... Agape is not transactional. Yeah, okay. it's not exactly not transactional. And then we've got the almoner, the almoner, feeding the hungry, giving the thirsty to drink. Then the next stanza, we've got the one who keeps the wardrobe, gives them clothes. Can you imagine this man in frills. Oh yes, <laughs> that's right. So he's like sort of um, you know, you know, thrift shop where you take your yeah. yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> then the fourth relieve prisoners so all this is taken quite directly from the Sermon on the Mount again from mm. Christ's description of and you can you, you see you could interpret that passage in the Bible in a Catholic way and say that what Christ is saying is that you lot who did these good things you get saved you lot who didn't do these things are bad but but the Protestant version is you lot who did these good things did so because ye are filled with grace mm. You lot who didn't do these good things didn't do them because you're miserable, self-regarding worms and should be toasted forever by demons. You're not filled with grace. You're not filled with yeah. grace. So it's the elect. Well, yeah, and that gets or us into... some of the elect and then others... Oh, I give up, yeah. <laughs> it gets complicated. Okay. Yeah. Point is, you don't know if you're elect, you don't know if the, squeal, the scrambling in your stomach is God's grace or a bad burrito. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. For whatever reason, they've done the right thing. So. Yeah, and you, you don't have a priest to tell you either, you know. Mm. You're on your own. You no know, wonder if I got very anxious about it. <laughs> well, that's right, and started sort of seeing signs in all sorts of irrelevant things. Mm. But of course, as we've discussed in particular, seeing signs in your own prosperity. God must like you if, you're, if your shop is doing well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he smiled upon you. Okay. He smiled upon you. So that's what they're there for. So there's a practical element to all this. Then, having having if you like being instructed in gladly good godly works of arms and charity he is because you know ch- charity requires work it's not just a, a glowing feeling oh i feel charitable towards yeah. <laughs> yeah. which is very much the kind of um sentimental idea if you get in you know it's sort of the man of feeling like kind of that 18th century thing oh, you know you <laughs> you walk among the ruins yeah. feeling feeling melancholy for the suffering many you know well yeah it's okay it doesn't do them a, a, a shred of good this week? <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> exactly 
and then he's ready to go up the hill to contemplation. Yeah, it's almost like they've kind of got his mindset right. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And Bit of a reset. But there's also yeah, there's also this practical thing that he's now yes engaged with yeah. other people, other human. And then he rises up the mountain, and if you look on the little map on the web page, you can mm-hmm. see that it's a correspondent to, to Archimago's hermitage on the way down. Because yes. <laughs> we're now on the way back up again. And contemplation is a way from con- contemplate. If you look at contemplation too, he's another of these slightly shriveled... <laughs> because, of course, he too, he's, he's not a glutton, so that's a... Yeah, you have to... Be careful in your reading. Um, yeah, godly aged sire. Yes. Snowy locks are down, his shoulders shed. That's right. And he's got branches the same way Archimago does. The mossy branches woke half dead, yes. Each bone might through his body well be red, but every sinew seemed. So he looks a little bit like the um, Red Cross who was raised out of the dungeon. Despair, yep. And a bit like despair. But. This, this is a kind of, you know, things often come in pairs in Spencer, the, the good version and the bad version, to put it crudely. Yep. This is this is a kind of good unworldliness. Yeah, that, healthy. A healthy unworldliness that leads you away from, because of mortification of the flesh to some extent, you know. Mm. If you if you spend all your time eating McDonald's, um, you're not going to get a vision of the New Jerusalem. No, you'll start the United Australia party, yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, you, you don't get many of those to the pound, do you? Clive Palmer's and... <laughs> his mind was full of spiritual repast, pined his flesh to keep his body low and chaste. And again, that looks worryingly Catholic, but I think, you know, by now we can see that, in fact, this is simply a, a common-sense idea, that, you know, that basically if you are immersed in the flesh and the pleasures of the flesh you're unlikely to rise above them to this spiritual awareness which which few would want to attain to anyway or could attain to where he can see he's got a vision of heaven the new jerusalem Mm. and he can see it cleopolis too he doesn't eat lots of green he's balanced he's balanced yes that's right that's right and so he's got a vision of uh that stands at 50, that most glorious house that glistereth bright with burning stars and ever-living fire, one of the keys out of the hand did be height by wise Fidelia, the keys to heaven, in other words, of course, which, of course, again, you know, suggests the Pope, because the Pope has crossed keys on his hat. He does. Because, because Peter was given the keys mm. to unloose what you loose on earth, it shall be loosed in heaven, and what you unloose on earth, shall be unloosed in heaven. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> so he's finally achieved a kind of, a kind of, oh, altitude, a kind of moment of, of insight. And, mm. uh, but of course, you can't stay up there. You can't live on the mountain. Well, unless you're contemplation itself. Yeah. <laughs> you got to yeah. come. You got to come down again. And Spend all your time in contemplation. That like will take you away from. Yes. Where got you there. Yeah, exactly. That's not good or healthy or productive for society. Yeah. Exactly. You've got to go down and engage with people again. Okay. Which is basically what he tells him. Oh, and he has a vision here. Moses, of course, mm-hmm. and Moses, of course, as we know, stands for Christ. Mm-hmm. Stanza 53. That done, he leads him to the highest mount, such one as that same mighty man of God, that blood-red billows like a wall in front on either side, disparted with his rod. So it's both Moses parting the Red Sea and, of course, Christ bringing redemption. Mm. Through a typological reading, mm-hmm. as, as we know. A common typological reading. 
till that his army dry foot through them yod, meaning went, dwelt forty days upon them. And it's also like the sacred hill with fruitful olives crowned and in the next stanza, which of course is Golgotha, where Christ dies for our okay. sins and redeems us. Gethsemane is where they find him. Yeah, that's right. All right, I get my G words mixed. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, think, think of this. Golgotha means the place of skulls. Oh, goth, yeah. Goth. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it was a kind of communal graveyard, particularly for the destitute and the unwanted. Oh, mm. of course. A bone pit. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. And it's also, third, it's a third thing too, it's like that pleasant mountain I for I through famous poet's verse, ah, yes. which we're around, so it's like... Parnassus. Parnassus, yes. Because poetry is, is one of the ways to the truth. It is. Yes. And we see this again illustrated later in the poem, a lot later in the poem, mm. with the vision on Mount Acidale, for example. And again, it's through spiritual contemplation and yeah, yeah. removal from society and reflection that you get it. You can't just read it yes. once and go, ah, oh, yes, I see. Exactly, 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 exactly. <laughs> Maybe we should beat the first years with a mossy branch. Would that help? That's a thought. Yeah. Yes. Maybe the mortification <laughs> of the flesh <laughs> before right. they're having a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And he shows him the way to heaven the city of the great king hight it well when eternal peace and happiness doth dwell and he sees the blessed angels to and fro descending so he's having this kind of almost out of the body experience this kind of vision of the divine what's the word for when you're meant to sit there and like really imagine you're at the crucifixion oh yes you're, th- you're thinking of the Jesuit um, the Jesuit it's called composition of place and it's a spiritual exercise yes where you, exactly where you use your imagination to imagine yourself into a, a kind of crisis point in the Christian story, okay. so you, you you feel you feel the emotion and you see what it's like. You know, you see Christ suffering or mm. whatever it happens to be. Okay. And it was it was you know you'd sit down. It's kind of meditation exercise. You'd, yeah. you'd in a dark room or dark kendril, I suppose. You wouldn't want the radio on. Or, no. no. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, this this is the thing, isn't it? I mean, this kind of contemplation is. Well, in our world, where distractions are so readily available, you know, we'll we'll pass your phone and (laughs) turn on TikTok or something. And he points out this is Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem that God has built. And basically, they discover that he has to kind of descend again to to the plain to carry on the work because the work is undone. But here he discovers his true identity, which is interesting. He discovers his George. Oh, that's right. Yes, St. George. St. George of Merry England, the sign of victories. And in fact, I think he's actually named here, isn't he? Um, I have circled it. Which stanza? It's uh, 61. For thou amongst these saints whom thou dost see shall be a saint, and thine own nation's friend friend and patron. Thou, St. George, shall call it be St. George of Merry England, the sign of victory. So he's conflating here. (laughs) Like Moses, Noah, they're gonna they're gonna be these Christ-like figures who save nations and do these things, and he is now going to be one of these for the English nation. Yes, essentially, yes. And this this is one of I don't know if we've talked about this much, but what Spencer does is he brings together all of these mythological and theological ideas to kind of it's he's developing English nationalism a little bit. Very much so. Uh, Yeah, and even the kind of slightly crazy notion that the English are the new chosen people, that God is... Crazy, that's very true. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus was a white man, didn't you know? (laughs) That's right. right. Well, 
the idea was that you know the Jews had it, but then they kind of messed up, you know, and so God shifted to the English, and this was very much a sort of narrative of colonial expansion. Yeah. <laughs> God gave the English a kind of duty to go out and subdue the world and replenish it, you know. Show me the order. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. So those those pesky Indians were, you know. Yeah, they needed colonialism. They needed yeah. it. Yeah. Yes, do a world of good. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And indeed, you know, the 1590s is the beginning. We've got rolling around pirating, and yeah. Well, but also you've got the founding of Virginia, the first founding of Virginia. Oh God, yeah. Now that didn't go yeah, well. well. No. Did each other? <laughs> That's right. But it was a start. It was a start. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so you've got Drayton, the poet Drayton, describing Virginia as a kind of paradise. You know? Yeah, that was like, yeah, that was so what they're representing. You're kind of recovering paradise in the new world. Here are line, uh, the stanza 66. Then she be brought into this fairy land, and in an heaped furrow did thee hide, with our plowman all unweeting found. As he his toilsome team that way did guide and brought thee up in ploughman's state behind. Because George is from Greek Georgos, which means a farmer. So there is the, the, the farmer is the patron saint. It's also like the it. everyman hero, right? Yeah, essentially. And the ploughman, the ploughman was seen as a kind of pure, you know, lot, lots of, lots of, in, in the Middle Ages, a lot of, a lot of, Occupations were felt to be inherently maybe dishonest, like a miller, because mm. the idea was a miller was always going to be nicking your your your, your flour, mm. you know, giving you short weight. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody has, you know, almost every occupation has a way of short shifting people. Yes, to make money because capitalism. Exactly, yep. exactly. That's why you know the market the markets were policed by what's called the court of pie powder, okay. which comes from the French phrase pied poudre, which means dusty feet, because going to market you take your chickens to market you've got dusty feet because you obviously walk there okay I know <laughs> I'm coming yes <laughs> now well, the court of pie powders was there essentially to check that everybody was giving right measure because it's so easy you know you, ah, you pop your thing in the scale oh that's that's um that's a that's a nice pound of potatoes you've got there well it's not really because your measure's wrong so there were serious penalties for giving short measure it was really important but you see the ploughman is absolutely honest because you've ploughed the field or you haven't. Yeah. There's no way you can cheat somebody in a ploughman. <laughs> Grow potatoes, which I didn't grow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Is that why Piers Ploughman? Yes, it's exactly why Piers Ploughman. Oh. It's also why in the Canterbury Tales, the two ideal figures in the prologue are the ploughman and the knight. Huh. Belonging to the martial classes okay. and the labouring classes. Okay, yeah, oh, right. And everybody else is, well, is not looked on, uh, you know, with the most... Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's seen rather in a rather jaundiced way. Everybody else is corrupt, essentially, and not what they appear to be. But the knight so and the, the, the ploughman. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah, who would it be? Who, who does a sort of transparently... <laughs> Truck drivers? Truck drivers, maybe, <laughs> maybe, unless they're taking amphetamines and things. Throws the pandemic out. The rubbish collectors, like they collect the rubbish, they, they rubbish. Not... Well, I suppose so. Yeah, whereas everyone else is. <laughs> anyway. 
Well, that's right. So, I mean, being a ploughman is, is socially very much down the scale, but, but spiritually, yeah. yeah. Them yeah, well, exactly. The also, yeah. they're kind of doing God's work because you know, productive so nature feels, is yeah. yeah, exactly. Stewardship, and yeah, yeah, and, and and you know, nature's fertility is is God's bounty. That's why Dante doesn't like usurers and sodomites because they both turn their back on God's bounty, so to speak. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. You know, <laughs> well, actually, no. I'm looking forward to getting to that. <laughs> the weird thing is that he's actually, he's actually, he never mentions. Sorry? No. He, he steers, he steers tactfully clear of it. Oh. And also, you know, one, one of his, one of his great teachers is down there. And, um, he, you know, yeah. it's basically all about, you know, how wonderful to see you again, a revered teacher. There's another aspect of this, of course, too. Um, remember, because remember, we have this weird ecclesiastical allegory, mm-hmm. where St George, the original church, who is um, is led away from truth, Una, by falsehood, who looks remarkably like a kind of female pope, mm-hmm. um, so in, into the kind of captivity of Mongolia, which is basically the captivity the of the church and the Catholic Church, liberated by Henry, by Henry VIII, mm-hmm. who is here Arthur but their initial tribulations and it's not until Elizabeth that we get the pure church mm. I suppose Elizabeth is Dame Celia is and Fidelia the, the articles 59 <sighs> uh, th- articles? yes 39, 39 articles, 39 <laughs> articles. <laughs> well there have been there have been 41 articles um, yeah it, 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 it was a work in progress okay but that was like this is the church these are our things yeah, yeah okay. but you can see them as times of tribulation because you know late Henry VIII was never a Protestant exactly well, he wasn't a Protestant. He was burning Protestants on his deathbed. But he did have a weirdly choose-your-own-adventure version of Catholicism. As most kings did. <laughs> <laughs> Which changed, you know, periodically. So pilgrimage was in, pilgrimage was out. You know, you couldn't really know, you didn't know where you stood. Then you had Edward, whose ministers were strongly Calvinist. Mm-hmm. He lasts uh, three years or so. Four, five years, and then you've got Mary, who lasts about the same length of time, who is strictly Catholic. Yeah, Bloody Mary, burning yeah. 300, 300 people burnt at the stake for, for for Protestantism, and then you've got Elizabeth, who who steers this weird kind of middle way, not wanting to. It's a rational ship, and it's, yes, she's out collecting Catholic heads and whatever. But, but only the ones who are plotting to kill her, yeah, which I think yeah. is reasonable. I think it's very fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, yeah, she's in the street every day burning people. No, no. As she said, I do not wish to open windows into men's souls. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the, the Catholics who were executed were people who were plotting to kill her. Mm. Several plots. Rudolphi plot, the Babington plot. That's right. And Marlowe was out trying to catch them. He was, probably, <laughs> yes. But that again is another story. <laughs> so so we've got um so we've got these tribulations, we've got a learning curve for the the English church, which I suppose is what the House of Holiness possibly represents. Um and then he emerges purified, um, sanctified pure the, the golden age, you, to. Yes, exactly, as as the Church of England. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One true Catholic church. Yeah, 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 essentially. Yes, right. That's right. That's right. So it's quite a packed episode. <laughs> <laughs> but 
as you say, he's got to come down again. So at the end, the last stanza of the of the canto, at last, when I himself began to find, to Unabaki cast him to retire, who him awaited still with pensive mind. Great thanks and goodly mead to that great sigh he then departing gave, for his pains higher. So came to Una, who enjoyed to see, and after little rest, gan him desire, and for adventure, mindful for to be. <laughs> so leave they take, take of Celia and her daughters three. Hmm. So he's now. He's back in health, so now he's got to go off and yeah. slay the dragon. Which is the burden of the next canto. Mm-hmm. And it's. This is much more a kind of boy's own adventure. Yes. yes. There's a dragon. <laughs> There's a dragon and a lot, of, a lot of fighting. And back and forth, yeah. Yes. Well, it's the kind of thing you expect to find in an epic, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to Homer, all the gory details about where spears go in and where they exit the body, and you know. And it's fun to read. We should, yeah. It's it's, it's, it's fun to read. But um, it doesn't have the intellectual. It, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have a kind of detailed allegorical significance. The general allegorical significance is quite clear. Mm. This is the job of the person who is seeking salvation is to fight the dragon of sin, mm. which um, is a constant battle. A wrestling. constant battle. Yeah. Yes, and wrestling and so on. There are aids that you can experience in this battle, so that, for example, it's quite, it's quite well described, the dragon. I mean, it's, it's fun to read, yeah. but, but I say it doesn't need a lot of explication, should we say. Of course, there's a balance here again. You look at our map, and you can see that the dragon of sin is in balance with the dragon of error in the first wood. Yep. But obviously much more difficult to defeat. Yes. Uh, the old dragon, it's, it's, a sort of, it's, a, it's a traditional term for sin, of course, isn't it? The old dragon. Is it? Hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. Hmm. That's right. And of course, in the tower, he's keeping prisoner Adam and Eve. Through his parents. Yes. Once you church, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So there is a sense in which, at some point, St. George takes on a Christ-like role of breaking them out of prison, which is, of course, harrowing of hell (laughs) once more. So it's it's second occurrence in this... In this canto. He's in the door. All right. But, and, and this is him doing it, whereas before it was Arthur doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. he's got the skills. He's got the know-how now. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, of course, the fight takes three days, which mm-hmm. is the three days of Easter. Very young. Um, very appropriate. This is Good Friday. Yep, this is Good Friday. <laughs> we heathens are working. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. On a on a blessedly empty campus. Yeah, that's how we were blessed. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's right. Right. No traffic. No traffic. Nothing. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And basically, he's helped by two things. On the first day, I'm trying to remember now. This isn't an episode that where detail sticks in the mind because there's so much detail. Yeah. But it's all about, you know, biff, bam, wham. Yeah, kind fail. Of ba- yeah. Fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. Line 28, the end of the first day, I think. Faint, weary, sore, emboiled, grieved, brent. And he's beaten. Yeah, yeah, very good. Excellent, excellent. The piling up of nouns or epithets <laughs> in a way that suggests a chaotic. Nimiety. Now, there's your useless word for the day. Nimiety means the quality of being too much. Oh. You might say, there's a nimiety of pudding on this plate. Oh. Well, you might. A nimiety of essays. A nimiety of essays, yes, that's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With heat, toil, wounds, arms, smart, and forward, inward fire, that never man such mischief did torment. 
death better were. Death he did of desire, back in the old story. Mm-hmm. But death will never come when needs require. Whom so dismayed when he is foe beheld, he cast to suffer him, no more aspire, but gan his sturdy stern about to wield, and him so strongly struck that to the ground him fell. So he's fallen down, and of course he must fall before we can rise. Mm-hmm. Christ has to die. Exactly. The old Adam has to die for the new Adam to be born. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the most basic, mythic plot of Christianity. Mm. Just as its converse, you know, pride goes before a fall. If you aspire, you're cast down. If you are cast down and you understand that you're cast down and you realise that you're helpless, then you can be raised up again. Okay. Reborn. Reborn. Got it. Exactly. Oh, another person. Mm. Interesting. It fortunate, as fair it then befell. Now, of course, as we've said before, I think, in Spencer, mm. it's always code for God's providence. Yes, but if that, anything happens by chance... Yes, it just happened to happen that. Yeah. <laughs> Behind his back, unweeting where he stood, he doesn't know about it, of ancient times there was a springing well from which fast trickled forth a silver flood full of great virtues and for medicine good. We long before that cursed dragon got that happy hand and all his innocent blood defiled those sacred waves it's rightly hot, the well of life, they yet his virtues had forgot. So this is the well of life, and it's the wellspring of grace, basically. And this restores him, nourishes him. So it's a bit of a cheat, really, because the dragon hasn't got anything similar. You know, it's not, it's not a fair fight, frankly. You're right. <laughs> the dragon is sin. But yes, so he's restored by this. There's a drink, and so he comes back the next day, basically renewed and reinvigorated. So again, we have more battle. You might, you might begin to suspect I'm not terribly interested in these protracted battles. The second day, the dragon breathes fire, because you know, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a traditional dragon. He, that's what dragons do. Yep. It's, their, it's their PD, yeah. isn't there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Standard 45. The heat were off, and harmful pestilence, so sure him noid, that is annoyed, meaning hermed, but forced him to retire a little backward for his best defence, to save his body from the scorching fire, which he from hellish entrails did expire. It chanced, mm. and now you know what that means. <laughs> it chanced, eternal God, that chance did guide. Ooh. Just two of them, just to really push it home. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, isn't he? He's, he's, he's actually sort of fessing up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As he recoiled... Look, the, the point, incidentally, that being made here is that we experience his chance because we can't interpret mm. it what God provides as providence. That's the idea behind it. Yeah. So it looks like chance to us, but in fact it's... There's a plan, a plan yeah. we can't see. Yeah. As he recorded backward, in the mire he nigh forwearied, feeble feet did slide, and down he fell with dread of shame and terrified. So he's, he's fallen in the mire again, which is not good. Yeah. It suggests he's kind of soiled himself. There grew a goodly tree in fair beside, loaden with fruit and apples, rosy red, as they in pure vermilion had been dyed, whereof great virtues over all were red. For happy life to all which therein fed, and life eked everlasting did befall. Great God it planted in that blessed stead with him almighty hand, and did it call the tree of life, the crime of our first father's fall. So we're in the Garden of Eden, of course, if, if we hadn't picked it up by now. Yep. Um, Adam and Eve, it seems, never escaped the Garden of Eden. They were just walled up in a tower. Here we have the second 
infusion of grace. Because these, these things are, again, they're, they're miniature, miniature versions of what the whole book has been about, about the healing operation of grace on the sinner's soul. Yep. Um, but here in shorthand, I suppose, in a way. They are very Protestant? You still with God's grace indirectly? Well, uh. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just trying to think which one he's kind of. Oh, I see. Well, now I, th- I think this is just a general notion of okay. it, because grace is a common idea to, okay. to, to all brands of Christianity. Um, here it's coming from the tree of life, which <laughs> you see, I mean, among other things, that, that, that gurgling stream that refreshes him on the first night is, of course, baptism. Okay. The tree of life, among other things, of course, it's the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. It's the crucifix. Yes, yes. that's right. Because of, uh, yeah. <laughs> and again, if you remember the Dun poem where he talks about the the, the the tree from which the crucifix was made, growing out of the seed that came from the apple that Adam ate. <laughs> they love that kind of neatness they and do. circularity. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So. So this, this grace here is coming precisely from Christ's sacrifice, essentially. Okay, Christ's sacrifice redeems. Yes, that's right, that's right, exactly. In the world, oh here, in all the world, like was not to be found, save in that soil where all good things did grow, and finally sprung out of the fruitful ground, as incorrupted nature did them did so, to let dread dragon all did overthrow. Sin, of course, basically. Mm. Another like fair tree grew thereby, whereof both Whoso did eat, eftsoons did know both good and ill. And that, of course, is the fruit of the tree that Adam and Eve eat from, mm-hmm. the knowledge of good and evil. O mournful memory, that tree through one man's fault hath done us all to die. Mm-hmm. From that first tree forth flowed as from a well a trickling stream of balm, most sovereign and dainty dear, which on the ground it fell and overflowed all the fertile plain. So balm from the tree, which, of course, again is an emblem of grace. Mm-hmm. Just like the the balm or the oil in the little box that Red Cross gives, and no, 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 Arthur gives Red Cross. Yeah. yeah, Red Cross gives Arthur a book, of course, yeah. the, the New Testament. Yes, exactly. Life and long health that gracious ointment gave, and deadly wounds could heal. Mm. And we've seen the process through which grace heals deadly wounds in great detail, yeah. and now it's again referred to in a kind of you know encapsulated way. Yeah. And rear the senseless course appointed for the grave. It can raise the dead into that same he fell which did from death him save. And basically, you know, he, he again, the second fall, mm-hmm. on the third day, he defeats the dragon, essentially. I'm not sure the details of how he defeats the dragon are terribly... Joy's Day, Easter... Oh, yes, well, that's right. Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. Dunn is a battle on the dragon black. That's a the poem by Dunbar, the Scots poem. Oh, sorry, oh no, that's not Spencer. Dunn? All, all Spencer done. No, no, no. That's a, that's a 15th century <laughs> Scots. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, there is, as we keep saying, the marvellous Easter sonnet of Spencer, which uh, begins, Most glorious Lord of life, that on this day didst make thy triumph over death and sin, and having harrowed hell, didst bring away captivity, thence captive us to win. Mm. Great poem. <laughs> about the meaning of love. So, yeah, there's a triumph on this day. This is Easter Day. He rises again. Love. S- socks it to the dragon. Yeah, or sin or... Uh, or yeah. Well, all, yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> or, sin, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. The old Adam, whatever you want to call it. Exactly. Which, you know, just happens to fall in spring and, you know, rebirth. And yes. And except, except in Australia, of course, where yeah. it's all... Here, pop- everything is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Dogmatically followed without any reflection. Yeah. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. right. So the last stanza, the knight himself even trembled at his fall, so huge and horrible a mess it seemed. His dear lady that beheld it all does not approach him for dread what she misdeemed. But at last, when as the direful fiend she saw not stir, off shaking vain fright, she nigher drew and saw that joyous end. Then God she praised and thanked her faithful knight that had achieved so great a conquest by his might. Apology! Well, <laughs> yeah, well, yes. Because there's a Ah, nicely thought. Oh, you told me this before. Oh, did I? From last time. Oh, I must have forgotten my own. But it is, it's a very neat anthropology. Yeah. Because if you're you're a Catholic, you could read it as him triumphing by his own might against the dragon. Yeah. But of course, it's God's might. You know, if any strength we have, it is to ill. But but it it beautifully encapsulates both points of view Mm. in in one... Syncretism. Syncretism, yes. So it's a... A syncretistic amphibology, you could say. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have the last stanza where Una is uh, betrothed with joy. They're not actually married. But he can't marry her yet because he's got jobs to do by the fairy queen. He's got work to do in this world. So it's not an end. Yes, exactly. So that's why, you know, the poem is so long and sprawling. They're Things are never wrapped up like in fairy tales where they live happily ever after in a rose-covered cottage because he's still got stuff to do in this world. Mm. And though they're betrothed, um, you know, things can intervene. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you haven't achieved the kind of perfection. Any more than the, the, the English church has achieved the kind of perfection, it's still going to face struggles. Yeah, because if he tied it up neatly, the allegory of the, of the English church wouldn't have worked. Yeah, exactly. They're still exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And also because... The struggle of every man against sin is constantly, constantly renewed. You you never right that's behind me, you yeah. know. Yeah. That that damn dragon keeps getting up. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to keep going through the process of spiritual reflection. Exactly. Yeah, okay. You've got to fall and rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and exhausting. Exhausting. Yeah. Absolutely exhausting. And in fact he says at the beginning of this sense behold I uh, there's Canto. Behold, I see the haven nigh at hand to which I mean my weary course to bend. <laughs> you wish, bud. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's a delusion that mm. you're going to reach a haven, except as, as a poet, where you've finished book one, mm. and you can turn your mind to book two. But this is why these books are always connected. So at the beginning of book two... Red Cross is there. Red Cross is and there. And Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And oh. we're still fighting the good fight, because it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's even a sort of interesting thing here where where Duessa turns up and tries to make mischief. Mm. And I suppose I suppose that really does relate to that ecclesiastical allegory, doesn't it? Because you know there were lots and lots, even even after a kind of establishment of the church. And in, in, in we're in the well, he's writing this in the 1580s. But you've got these challenges from the Catholics, for example, mm. these these plots to overthrow Elizabeth. You've also got resistance from Puritans mm. for whom any concession to Catholic you know, um, robes and even, even the notion of a bishop they hated the idea of bishops they didn't like the idea of priests actually you know. 
They have fathers, I suppose. Well, yeah, pastors. Pastors. Who, who, who preach, basically. Their job is to preach. They're eloquent and they, they know stuff, you know. Oh, so. No, we don't trust them. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have magical powers. Mm. And they're not indirectly in touch with God. And indeed, the idea is that everybody is their own priest. Okay. So do it yourself, priesthood. But there was no book. I know there was a book, but there was no book. <laughs> well, no book for being a do-it-yourself priest, you no. Kind of had to, well, that also re- requires people to be literate and oh, absolutely. have access to these ideas, which they absolutely. didn't. So it really just fosters another kind of superstition. Well, uh, in a way, you could say. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, look, I'm not yeah, trying to defend yeah, one kind of view over the other. Uh, you live for themselves, exactly, and that's dangerous because yeah. it's a bit like saying everybody can be their own doctor so you know <laughs> which is a kind of trump thing yeah oh i'll try i'll try this stuff that's used for horses um yeah oh, yes oh that'll do the trick uh, no <laughs> an actual hostility you know in the in this model Fauci or fauci is he's a priest he's a bishop he can tell you what's what's going on, what's, yeah. what's the right thing to do in the relief, but, but you know there's just hostility towards him people want him executed or punished in some way for. it's funny how we have kind of the same thing this, this yeah, it's just suspicion towards intellectuals or academics as if they're going to try to undermine your yes, no, that's right your individualism and that's tell right. you what to think yes uh. that's right <laughs> <laughs> That, that's that's exactly right. So, Duessa turns up. Oh, nice example of occupatio here. Nine fifteen, talking about the wedding or the, the betrothal feast, I suppose. What needs me tell their feast in goodly guise, oh. in which was nothing riotous nor vain? What needs of dainty dishes to devise, of comely service, or courtly tra- services, or courtly train? My narrow leaves cannot in them contain the large discourse of royal princes' state. So telling them, but then, not telling them, saying you're not going to say it, yes, but then just but doing then, it anyway. Yes, yeah, slipping <laughs> in the description in the... There's no need for me to tell you how difficult it was. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Which is, can be quite a sneaky thing, actually, you know, because in a sense you haven't actually said this, you've sort of just taken it for granted as background mm. information. Yeah. So you're not <laughs> arguing for it, you know. Satan doesn't. Or off, doesn't he? Oh, he does. He does, he does, he does, he does. Yeah. yes, yes. Yes. Well, you know, in this, you could say, I'm, I'm not going to expatiate upon, upon Morrison's corruption and, <laughs> and lying. Morrison. <laughs> no, I won't say anything about his lying or <laughs> his arrogance, his bullying, his anti-feminism. His... Uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's quite effective. So yes, Duessa's intervention is basically a kind of summing up all the ways in which the church was undermined in its its earlier its earlier days. Having been established under Elizabeth, it still had these these dangers. And of course, for Duessa, Duessa, as we know, stands for doubleness, untruth, the Catholic Church. So her casting aspersions on Una mm. is, of course. I, I guess the difference is this time around we immediately recognise her for who she is like everyone does it's like you are evil lady yes. <laughs> whereas beforehand it was like oh pretty lady <laughs> that's right um, so we've learnt you know it's illustrated with the process that's right that's right so she comes to claim that Red Cross was affianced to her mm. long before and sacred pledges he both gave and had <laughs> false errant knight infamous and false war there's a grain of truth in it of course if, well, it will if rogering her by the pool, you know, is 
Oh, that's right. He, the mess, a messenger has come with a letter from her, so she's not there in person at this point, as I recall. That's right. So basically, she's. It's a bit like you know what happens in Jane Eyre when that chap. You know, um, speak now forever, hold your peace. Uh, well, no, 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 I'm thinking of when he's about to marry Bertha. Oh, yeah. And yeah. this chap comes in and says, no. Actually, yeah. Actually, oh, about to marry Jane, not Bertha. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, already married. Field, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. It's almost a bit soap opera-ish, this part, isn't it? Yeah, Spencer lapses into it. <laughs> he does occasionally. So, Raycross defends himself, line stanza 31. I lately travelled on where's so here's what I lately travelled on where's I strayed out of my way through perils strange and hard, so he's kind of confessing because that straying is of course both geographical, yes, strange and hard, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, and again you see if you if you look at our map on the website you can see that he could have got to the dragon in a very direct way by just going straight line but instead he's turned aside by Archimago and then just. Mm. Descends, oh, yeah, yeah. has to rise again. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. yeah. There's, there's there's a splendid map too of book two, which perhaps in due course could go oh, on. Yeah, on. We'll that yeah. One. <laughs> maybe I can commission Egg <laughs> to do the third one as well. <laughs> it's got a less there's a less clear geographical. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, he's reading it apparently. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, good. Good, 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 good. Glad to hear it. So they work out it's the the sorceress who sent these messages. They put the messenger in a dungeon, which... Mm -hmm. It's unfair, but... unfair. Shooting the messenger, yes. Oh, so they do actually... Well, in fact, they're more than betrothed, aren't they? Um, They're actually married. It's just it doesn't hang around. Mm -hmm. Line 30... uh, Stanza 37. His own two hands the holy knots did knit. None but death forever can divide. His own two hands were such a turn most fit. The housling fire did kindle and provide. And holy water thereon sprinkled, sprinkled wide. And sacred lamp in secret chamber hide, where it should not be quenched day nor night for fear of evil fates, but burnin' ever bright. Then they, and they sprinkled all the posts with wine and made great feast to solemnize that day. They all perfumed with frankincense divine and precious odours fetched from far away. <laughs> that all the house did sweat with great array. And all the while sweet music to apply, her curious skill, the warbling notes to play, to drive away the dull melancholy. You have to say that sometimes, mm. while one sang a hymn of love and jollity. So this is um, a Protestant idea that you get strongly in Spencer and in Milton of married love as a kind of sacrament, almost, mm. a thing that takes you closer to God, mm. to distinguish it from, you know, mere, what Sexual Milton calls, yeah, or what Milton calls casual fruition. That's it. Yes, it's a good <laughs> or, word. Spencer calls joyous jolly Joyous jolly yes. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's sweet, reluctant... Amorous delay, delay yeah. yes. That's right. That's right. Can so, you be love? Can you be love? love yeah, yes, yeah. that's right. And so there's a hymn in Milton to, to marry love. Mm. And, and he talks about their bower, which is a kind of shrine, mm. uh, you know, decorated with all the, all the right flowers symbolically and so on. As opposed to after the fall, when, when yeah, Adam's like... Yeah, they just yes, exactly. <laughs> in the nearest bush. Yeah, well, like an animal. Eyes. Well, her eyes darted contagious fire. In lust they burn. Mm. And he takes her hand and drags her off to a bush. It's very different. <laughs> drags her nothing loath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very different, and it's important because in both cases it's a way of dealing with the problem of sexuality in love and seeing love as a kind of ennobling mm. 
thing. You don't have to actually get rid of sex altogether. You can give it this exalted status of a, a kind of channel of grace. Yeah. This is good sex. This is godly sex. Yes. Yeah. With my body, I thee worship. Yeah. Which is actually in, in, you know, in, in the prayer book. And indeed, of course, there's a, a marvellous poem that kind of ends the Amoretti. Because the Amoretti are unlike, unlike most sonnet sequences, which end in you know, the same place they began, that is to say, him down here, her up there, and nothing happening between them, mm-hmm. or likely to happen. Yep. <laughs> the Amoretti end in marriage. Oh, hmm. that's nice. Yeah, so it's kind of like turning the sequence on with its head. And then he follows with the wonderful Epithalamian, mm. which is a marriage hymn. Okay. Open the temple gates unto my love. Open them wide and let her enter in. <laughs> yes. So it's a marvellous celebration of marriage. And that's what that's doing here, I think, basically. So there's great joy and solemn feast proclaimed throughout the land with exceeding mirth. Exceeding mirth beats joyous John Event any day. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps a nimiety of mirth. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, these are joys of knitting love that thrice happy man the knight himself did hold, possessed of his lover's lady's heart and hand. And never when his eye did her behold, his heart did seem to melt in pleasures manifold. In her joyous presence and sweet company and full content he there did long enjoy. No wicked and I think we can assume that, you know, she the rights connubial did not refuse or whatever oh, yes, says. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of implied in all this this, you know, the melting, melting in pleasure and joyous. Mm, they had a good afternoon. Yes, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yet, mm, swimming, swimming in that sea of blissful joy... And swimming is important because water is always like sexuality, yeah. It is. And bliss, indeed, was very much a, um, a, a slang term for... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he thought, he not forgot how he will had sworn in case he... He could that monstrous beast destroy unto his fairy queen back to return. Which he surely did. Huh. And you lift him on. <laughs> it's the old story. <laughs> he's off he's back to the office. Now strike your sails, you jolly mariner, for we come we be come unto a white road where we must land some of our passengers and light this weary vessel of her load. So again that metaphor of, of the, the the poem is a kind of ship that's yeah. sailing yeah. a journey. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Till she repaired half her tackle spent and once supplied and then again abroad from the long voyage where she is bound bent big one well may she speed and there fairly finish her intent interesting isn't it in light of all the assumptions that the fake is unfinished mm-hmm. which as we will we will come to explain in time that we don't believe that we do not we do not <laughs> <laughs> have no. you checked does anyone else make an argument about this I don't know. There's a lot of critical writing yeah, on Spencer, um, which I, I suspect a lot of it will either be quite dreary or quite two-dimensional in its analysis. Uh, some of it is, um, yeah. but beginning in the in the sixties and seventies, which is quite a long time ago now, uh, people began to get interested in Spencer in quite sophisticated ways. So there, um, lots of different ways of, of thinking about the poem. Mm-hmm. Even you know, uh, Alistair Fowler in his numerological approach. Uh, topomorphic patterning. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. And yeah. and even associating, you know, the numbers of the books with the virtues in terms of numerology. It's all quite interesting. But um, look at that. yeah, that yeah. Was fun. Yes. Huh. Okay. That's right. Well, 
That is book one of the Fairy Queen. One of the Fairy Queen. Well, we did. We didn't. We didn't cover every nook and cranny. We'll leave that up to you. I had a sprint on the last straight there, but that's because you know the the battle with the dragon. Yeah, we covered broad strokes. We covered broad strokes. But the the really important part is the meat of it is in that the centre. The, the whole question of sin and redemption and grace and so on. That's what it's really about. We've unpacked the, the gnarly bits that people, you know, don't necessarily have access to about yeah. the glory and yeah. uh, the religious significance, the theological meaning. You know. Exactly. So, Give me the tools. Give me the tools, yes. <laughs> now finish the job. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.